Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. On today's show, we're going to talk about Kerry Blackshear. I'm sure this is stunning to all of you. We'll talk about why this process has seemed strange. Is it really strange? Is it just about social media? What's he going to do? When will he decide? What are the various pitches going on? Are some of them weird? Are some of them inaccurate? So we'll dive into all that, and then we'll talk about uh, the 2019-2020 Gators. Um, right now, they don't have Kerry Blackshear, so what does that mean? What are we looking forward to? Summer ball starts July 1st, so we'll kind of get you ready for summer practices and then take a look at uh, the first four opponents on Florida's schedule, starting with um, opening night against North Florida all the way out in November. We just kind of wanted to take a glance and give some preliminary like summer thoughts on some of Florida's uh, early games. So long show today. Lots of Kerry Blackshear. Thanks for listening. Please remember to give us a follow on Twitter at Florida BB Hour and a rating on iTunes or a heart on Spotify. Believe it or not, these ratings actually matter because of where you get ranked on, on podcasts. They help you uh, reel in sponsors, things like that that make our show um, what it is. So thanks for listening and we appreciate you. Enjoy the program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. We are deep into Kerry Blackshear Watch, and I am joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, who has become the lead recruiter for – no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the guy who's running a lot of the stories on Kerry Blackshear. We're not going to, like, make you guys wait for Blackshear stuff with other stuff we might have wanted to do on this podcast. Um. Welcome, Eric. And is this the strangest grad transfer process you've ever seen? You know what? I, I actually like this might sound kind of weird. I, I don't think this is actually strange. Like what? I, like I guess the strange part of it is the fact that so many people seem to be experts on what he's going to do, and it, uh, even though people have been certain about what he's going to do for the last two weeks, it hasn't happened. But when you look at like the actual facts of what, like what we actually know, not like the scoop people get from their uncle who, you know, goes to coffee with Blackshear's cousin. Like, not, none of that. If we just look <laughs> at, like, the facts of what we know is he went, uh, you know, he put his name in the portal. He visited a couple of the best programs in the country, and then he took time to decide. And that's where we're at. And those are the facts. And really, there's nothing weird about that. And, and I mean, people are just like, wow, it's so weird he hasn't made the decision. But, I mean, if you were to kind of, like, flip the story a bit, like, let's say it's, Let's say Neil Blackman, the lawyer, gets offered the identical job at five different um, incredibly prestigious law firms. And he goes and visits them and then takes three weeks to decide because it's a tough decision. Like, there's nothing weird about that story. It would just get weird if people started to, like, make weird claims about being 100% certain about where you're going. So, like, when we look at the actual facts of this, of this process, it's like, hey, he went to some... Uh, he, he went on some visits to some programs that all have really good reasons as to why he should go there. I mean, we can argue which one's the best, but uh, you know, he went to some really good programs and therefore it's going to be a really tough decision. So in, in terms of that, I mean, no, I don't think it's weird. He's taking this time. Um, the only weirdness has come from people claiming to be experts. And the other thing too, is I think this is um, kind of an interesting look at the modern age of social media. And what I mean is like 
Blackshear hasn't said anything. He doesn't really tweet. He hasn't really done any interviews. He hasn't talked about any of his visits. He's just been totally silent. And when you're totally silent as a player nowadays, that gives everyone else the chance to kind of put in their two cents because now Kerry Blackshear isn't controlling the narrative. So I kind of wish that he just came out and said, you know, like, hey, I had a really good visit here. Hey, I had a really good visit here. Um, just little things like that would keep people from saying like, oh, he's been really quiet because he actually knows all along he's going to this school. And and for that reason, it's weird. But yeah, that's kind of my take is like the actual facts of this, nothing really weird. It's just the fact that Kerry Blackshear is so silent, doesn't make any statements. And that just gives people the chance to jump in and pretend they know what's going on. So I think that's a really good take. Here's what I'd add to it because I've called it, and I know you've seen on message boards, I've called it a strange recruitment. And mm. I probably should have clarified that I think it's just strange how it's been covered and how like Blackshear watch has become like get Twitter notifications to your phone. Like you said, like it's a really interesting case study in two things. One, what grad transfer, the grad transfer rule means to the sport right now. Mm. Like this is maybe the largest object lesson we've ever had in what that is. Cause it's, it is free agency. And then, yeah. and then it, it, it is in the sense that those players don't have to sit out, right? They're not Anthony DeRucci. Um, so they're like coaches. They can leave as long as they have their degree. So in a limited sense, it's free agency. And then the second thing I think is, is, is strange is, like you said, just all the different people trying to chime in and scoop it. You've been following the process if you're listening to our show. And, you know, I mean, some of these people just don't have ties to either the player or the program. So, like, you have to be pretty careful with who you're listening to. Like, if it's a – if it's a, let's just assume Memphis had been involved in the process because, again, I'm not going to call anyone out. If, it, if Memphis is involved in the process, you have to be really careful if, like, the Memphis beat writer is saying that, like, Memphis leads. And, you know, it's the Memphis football beat writer, right? <laughs> like these, but these are the types of people that are chiming in on it. And, you know, I think that some of the national writers, but not even all of them. And that's what also makes it weird is some of the national writers have been irresponsible, but the big time ones, you know, the Jeff Goodman's of the world, the John Rothstein's, those kind of guys, Pat Forty, those dudes, they aren't saying anything. And you know why they're not saying anything? Because they don't know anything. Like you said, this is a quiet kid, and he's making a choice. So I think that's weird. And I guess a third thing I'll add really quick that I think is weird is some of the recruiting pitches. And I wanted to, to touch on Virginia Tech's first and foremost because it's the one that rattled my cage the worst. Um, and it's not that, I, you know, if he goes to Virginia Tech, I think that's – if he stays at Virginia Tech, I think that's great. But uh, obviously not great for Florida, but um, – the loyalty pitch is really strange to me because how much more loyal can you get than playing four years somewhere, getting your degree and leading a team to the sweet 16? Like what could be more loyal than that? And really isn't the point of college to go to undergrad, get your degree and then go do something else in the world. If you want, uh, you know, like if I, if you get into a great law school, right. And it's not your alma mater. It doesn't mean you're not. 
if you get into a better law school than Florida, you're still a Gator. Like you're not, you don't not become a Gator because you go to NYU for law school, right? Like, so, so that loyalty pitch, I think, is really weird and almost a little bit, I don't want to call it gross, but it, it makes me well, feel kind of weird. The funny part to me is, like, I just imagine someone trying to, someone trying to be, like, talk to him about loyalty and loyalty. And then Carrie Blackshear just, like, eating up every word, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person's just like, yeah. And, you know, being loyal and everything. And then Carrie Blackshear's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I should go to, to Texas A&M. Because, <laughs> right, I mean, right. I, like, like, if we're talking loyalty right now, like. Uh, like I would be scared about Virginia Tech talking loyalty and then, you know, going to the coach that, uh, you know, that got you into, you know, brought you to Virginia Tech when, uh, you know, probably some other good programs should have been looking at you and um, obviously got you to the point of being one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most sought after grad transfers. I would say the most sought after. And um, so, just something you said, sorry, yeah, something you I said to... earlier just about like the point of like the importance of a grad transfer. I mean, like, who do you think is going to have more of an impact in college basketball next year? Uh, James Wiseman or, or Kerry Blackshear. Like, I know, like, impact in terms of, like, you know, eyes, television. Um, you know, people are going to care about Wiseman because of the draft implications. But, I mean, when you look at on the floor, I mean, I, like, I, I'll, I'll take the, you know, I'll take the fifth-year senior. I'll take, I'll take Blackshear. So, it just has obviously opened up a point where, like, this is more important than um, for one year of college basketball. I mean, I think Kerry Blackshear is going to be better than James Wiseman. So, um, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that it's going to be such a such an intense recruitment and such a big story. So, um, I mean, you kind of did you did you disagree with the portion of my take about free agency? Uh, free agency? I would no. I don't think I'd. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, and I don't mean like you know because look. Uh, we could have a whole pay-for-play discussion um, at some point in time. And, you know, I'll tell listeners that Jay Billis did respond to my email about being on the podcast. Uh, he did not agree to come on, but he said to keep it up. So we will hopefully just keep trying, and eventually he'll find us uh, worthy of spending 30 minutes with um, <laughs> And but I'm not going to get into a Billis pay for play lecture because uh, I really wanted to have him on and have that discussion. And maybe Rob Duster will do it with us because I know he's he's kind of like Billis light on that issue. But um, so until until they're paying players uh, and until there aren't rules about transfers having to sit out, grad transfers are the closest thing you have to, to free agency in the sport, um, especially without a streamlined waiver process for, for non-grad transfers. So I just think it's just crazy. And, and, um, in terms of, of what's left, I mean, look, the announcement soon, and that's one of the national writers announcement soon. Well, I think it's safe to say that was wrong. Like, I don't think anybody knows when he's going to announce. And, um, I wouldn't say Florida is out of it. And I guess that's a big question. Our listeners has is Florida still in this? Cause it's still, Everybody says it's UT or Virginia Tech. What do you think about that, Eric? Is Florida still involved? I do think Florida is involved. I have <laughs> to just tell you something that just happened that was quite interesting slash funny. So it's like 3.38 right now. Um, okay. And, uh, sure. 3.38. People, so, I mean, we're just waiting for this Blackshear news. And uh, so uh, so Coach Mincy tweeted out uh, tweeted out something in regards to, uh, you know, needed to close his eyes to, due to the, uh, the Florida sun. Um, so, of course, um, being, you know, uh, uh, 2019 on Twitter, I responded with the eyes emoji. Um, a couple of Gator <laughs> fans have now tweeted to me saying, uh, Coach Mincy has now deleted that tweet. 
So that is no longer there. So, Hey, let the drama, let the drama roll on. But, um, uh, the, we're, so I should also say, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, Wednesday afternoon and I think, you know, there's part of us that are just hoping that live on the podcast, there's some black shoe announcement though, no reason to, uh, to believe it, but going back to your initial question, um, no, I, 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 I definitely think Florida's still in it, despite what, um, you know, many unsourced, um, takes are being thrown out on Twitter. Uh, I gotta tell you that, that the, I got to tell you that him deleting that tweet is pretty funny because I, so I saw it like right after it was sent and favorited it because if, if anybody follows coach Mincy on Twitter, he said his, his line usually is sleep. Well, right. If something mm-hmm. good is about to happen on the recruiting front, he'll say sleep well. And so saying that his eyes are heavy because of the hot Florida sun makes me think, Oh, he wants to go and take a nap. He's going to sleep well. So, it's like an even more subtle uh, sleep well from from Coach Mincy. So if he's deleted it, you know, I, mean, I guess it would just be par for the course that no one knows anything, including the coaches recruiting Blackshear. Yeah, I just uh, I, <laughs> I I really hope my tweeting the eyes emojis at him wasn't that that was like the one reply to the tweet. No one had even replied other than that because. Uh, you know, Mincy's not on Twitter very often, so when he tweets, it's uh, you know, it's usually something like "sleep well" and we get pumped. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, that's uh, yeah, that's that's happening live. Maybe the next thing will be some sort some sort of uh, black shoe news live on the podcast. Yeah, it'd be pretty wild if um, if you know we waited because we were gonna we were gonna record uh, <laughs> yesterday and it didn't work out because of my work schedule and. while we're recording like how would we handle that so i guess if that happens you guys will find out how we handle it um we were going to talk about if uf will add anyone else i don't think we're going to do that the one thing i think is interesting is uh i guess the two players that that i had thought of one we know florida contacted at least according to one report uh is tyler scanlon um i searched Twitter high and low for a second report verifying that and couldn't find one. Um, and then the other interesting thing I heard from, from uh, little birds was just that, uh, and it could be Seton Hall related and not Florida related. Um, but it is odd that Shacker juice a guy that Florida contacted at the beginning of the process was supposed to commit two weeks ago and hasn't done anything. That is very interesting. And I do think he would be, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, the cupboards are pretty empty right now in terms of what's left on the grad transfer market or the transfer market at all. But, um, yeah, I, I do think he'd be a really good guy. That, there's no question. Um, uh, Tyler Scanlon, he's, he's someone I talked to. Um, he's uh, going back to a uh, multiple years ago um, tw- uh, thread of, on Twitter I did about the best names in college basketball where I had a couple of his teammates. He followed me, and I've talked to him a few times, actually, long <laughs> before I knew. So I actually was able to talk to him. Um, Let's just say I, I don't think Florida is uh, in the mix for that one. Um, so, yeah, but Justin, that's, that's, that's something that's really interesting. But, I mean, other than that, I, I, there's just not much out there, as you would expect for, you know, late June for uh, um, what could be there if, if they were to miss out on, on, um, on Blackshear. So, yeah, I don't really think there's, uh, there's too much to talk other than, yeah, the, the, uh, what you said about the fact that, um, um, you know, that, that commitment not happening makes it seem like maybe Justin's still, uh, still out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to me, especially because – uh, 
the the Jusin thing, he was supposed to decide between three schools, and then suddenly it wasn't those three schools. And he's another kid that's really quiet, and uh, actually got off Twitter. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> um, he removed himself from Twitter. There was some chirping about Grand Canyon, but it was from uh, one of the national sources that had said he was committing to Oregon like a week before and deleted it. You guys can figure out who that might be. So, um, you know, I don't think that person really knows. I think they just are guessing. Grand Canyon was always kind of a logical spot for him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so that's that's really all that's out there if it's not Blackshear. And another little tidbit for listeners is that Coach White, I apparently told the Fort Lauderdale Gator Club, Broward County Gator Club, last week that, wow, he's never had a scholarship open before during the regular season. The in-season transfer rules are a little different now, and he's not just going to fill it this summer to fill it. Yeah, and I do think that would be interesting because we are seeing more and more uh, mid-season transfers. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't think that that would be the, uh, his first choice for sure. Uh, but I, I, I kind of do agree with uh, not filling it just to fill it. But it was it was even interesting. Like I said, I, I don't think Tyler Scanlon's really a possibility. But it was like, hey, there's someone I think could give, you know, maybe 15 minutes off the bench of the three and four spots. Do you take a guy like that um, or leave it open for for maybe a midseason transfer? I mean, that would be kind of a, a tough, interesting decision. Um, but yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like they maybe uh, lean towards the flexibility of an open scholarship. Yeah, and so we, and it, speaking of like people not knowing anything, I mean, it, it's actually fun to, to some extent, it's it's kind of fun to go into the. Uh, I have quite a collection of bookmark tweets, from just <laughs> random burner accounts, and we've got another one that responded to, a pretty well connected Gator Twitter person, and uh, just just to give an example of what they're like, and this guy, Brett G eighty three. Uh, who has 261 followers, but no one basketball related, says, I don't know why Florida thinks they're in it. It's Tennessee or VTech for Blackshear, and we will know by the end of the week. Okay, Brett G83, I'm glad that you've broken that news. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have people like Brett G out there. It's a hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, it's, it's awesome that we uh, spent so much time when we could have just had Brett G83 on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we should tweet at him and ask him to come on the pod now i'm kidding um so let's let's do meet the 2019 20 gators because 2020 gators because they start summer practice july 1st um what are you most excited about um i would say i'm most excited for uh, maybe a couple more guys that can make moves off the dribble that would be kind of just for anyone to listen to the <laughs> podcast um, I think you just, I think just uh, being able to beat guys off the dribble and make advantage situations is what basketball is all about. As much as, you know, ball movement is uh, talked about a lot and spacing's talked about a lot. Um, you know, ball movement, if no one can beat their guy off the dribble, is still not worth much. So uh, just be able to see, um, you know, I'll even say Trey Man first. I think that might not be uh, what most people are expecting, but um, I think he just brings some electricity to the roster that, that they didn't have last year. Just uh, someone who can really kind of, shoot, score off the dribble, make things happen off the bounce. Um, so I'm excited for that. In addition to, of course, Scotty Lewis, who just has the athleticism to kind of burn through guys. And, uh, and just to see what Andrew Nemhart kind of um, – how, how he develops after a really good freshman season. And I know that I, I took a lot of talking points with that quick statement, so I, I better see what you have, you have going. 
Uh, God, I went back and forth on this so much. And I actually decided that what makes me most excited is seeing Florida's sophomores uh, mm. playing year two. And I think it's because I got the one thing that's gotten kind of annoying, and, and it's something Blake Lovell and I talked about a little bit uh, towards the end of last year was, so in college basketball, sophomores that have played a lot as freshmen aren't really young anymore. They just kind of get labeled that. And so there's this idea that Florida's going to be like super young next year. And I'm like, well, they have three freshmen that started a whole SEC slate, and this will be their second trip through the SEC. Um, and, and I think the guy I'm most excited about, and I know Eric is going to be irritated because I should say Andrew Nimhard, but it's probably Keontae Johnson. Um, I don't think that there's been a player that since Al Horford, really, that's maybe Brad Beal, but probably Al Horford because um, Beal was always really good. <laughs> um, that improved as much from summer ball in November to the end of the season. And I really think like Florida did a lot of things to make sure that Keontae was more involved late in the season. And now they're going to have like guys to kind of protect that talent uh, in, in, you know, better wings, better guys that can beat people off the dribble. And I think that's going to make Keontae an even more effective and devastating player. And he's a guy I think could have a huge season. Yeah. He's just fearless last year in the way he kind of took on a lot of really tough challenges when you just see like, the matchups he had against LSU, against Kentucky. I mean, he was taking a bigger, you know, physical uh, player, really good players, and he just kind of stepped up to every challenge. And uh, for that reason, I mean, you think about what he'd be like a year older. It, it, it just is – it's really exciting. And then to just see the way that he uh, – with a fairly limited offensive game, I would say, but it was like limited but really effective. It was, it was simple, but he got the job done. Just to think about what he would do with, um, you know, another summer to kind of just get a little bit better there. So um, – uh, where like you know Andrew Nemhart obviously has places he can get better like any player, but uh, yeah I, I don't uh, I'm not expecting any kind of like monumental leap I guess I should say from Nemhart just because I thought he was really good last year and while I thought Keontae Johnson was also really good uh, I could see him like exploding so yeah that's a great answer for who to be most excited about. So, um, you know I think that what keeps you up at night is is pretty obvious, but what keeps you up at night? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'm going to go to the wing situation, actually. And I still just oh. see like the lack. Yeah, let me go there. I still see just the lack of wings. And as much as um, you know, as much as there's a, a starting center spot, people are uh, you know maybe thinking about a lot. Uh, there's definitely you know the difference between having an elite center and you know maybe below average center rotation. You know that that hurts. But I mean, when you see modern basketball, uh, it's just so much about the wings. And you you look at just how how Florida's season went last year and to just see them get like outwinged by a team like TCU that didn't end up being great. But I mean, it just looked like they kind of dominated Florida at times just because they were longer and more versatile. Um, I, I just see, I just see things like that. And I just see that Florida does not have a lot of versatility on the lineup in the lineup. And I think that that, uh, that's something that kind of uh, uh, bothers me a little bit just to see like what they do behind um, Scotty Lewis at the three spot. Uh, what they do with Keontae Johnson off the floor for the backup four spot. Um, you know, if they even match up with a team that's got some good size on the wings or sorry, at the two spot, I should say, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, man's got a bit of, uh, he's not, he's not, you know, not a small guard if he plays the two or whatever, uh, but he's certainly not big. So uh, especially in the SEC where there's some big athletic wings, uh, there's still part of me that sees like, you know, the Florida state matchup coming up again, where it just seemed like, um, it just seemed like they were so much bigger at every position on the perimeter. Uh, there's still part of me like that that um, 
that kind of keeps me up at night, I guess, for the, uh, what we're saying. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw the, uh, the other one to you then. So, um, you know, it was funny cause I was going to kind of steal the thunder and, and shift a little from the five, but it's still the front court for me. I guess my issue is, is really about the four and it's not so much because Keontae Johnson can play the four and I know he can, it's really like, what, which, who else can play the four? Like, it, are, is Florida going to have to play two bigs at once? I think that's certainly a possibility for the Gators. Um, whether that's uh, Dante Bassett that gets in there and is just, you know, real physical and can do it. Um, or, you know, whether it's Isaiah Stokes uh, that, that does it, which seems not that likely, even though he's lost, you know, I think he's lost 65 pounds. Uh, according to Chris Harry, since since nine months ago, so you know full credit to him, but he's still a guy that's not real quick and still going to struggle in pick and roll defense, like all young bigs do, right? And and or most young bigs, and so I just don't know what what they do to steal minutes there. We talked about it on a prior podcast. Maybe Scotty Lewis plays some four. Uh, I know he seems like a kind of kid with an attitude that like would embrace that challenge. But is that the best use of him, especially given the wings thing that the, the situation with wings that, that Eric talked about. So that's, that's kind of what keeps me up at night is just front court combinations. Um, and then, you know, not being worried about the five still sort of being contingent on, you know, is Gorchak Gak Okay. Yeah. It, it really does seem like he's okay by all accounts. So I, I am, I am kind of assuming that, um, that he's healthy and well, not even assuming, I mean, I'm being told he's healthy, so I'm going to believe he's healthy. And right. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, you, as I, you know, I talked to this a couple months ago and I did this, <coughs> um, just about who I thought would start at the five, um, with the current roster, I do think it'll be Gak. So, um, but here's one thing that, um, you know, teaser to an article that I've got kind of upcoming, um, in regards to Florida's rebounding. Um, so this is, uh, starting with four seasons ago. This is uh, this is Florida's offensive rebound percentage allowed. Mar- uh, this is just from Ken Palm. So uh, yeah, this is the offensive rebounds they've allowed. So, so four years ago they were 162nd in the country. Then three years ago they were 193rd in the country. Two seasons ago 256th in the country, and then last season 313th. So that was 162nd, 193rd, 256th, 313th. Wow, so got to rebound better. So their rebounding has just gotten, and I mean that that is one number of rebounding. So I, that's not. Uh, you can look at a few different numbers just uh, to see what kind of rebound. So that's just like how many offensive rebounds they're allowing. So this is just we're just looking at defensive rebounding. But I mean those are big steps every single year backwards. And yes, I know that the team last year was um, you know undersized due to injuries and stuff. But uh, there's still part of me that's like, yeah, you know, if it's uh, if they're if the lineups you have to play are you know it's um, Trey, Trey Mann's playing the three and Scotty Lewis is playing the four. Um, Dante Bassett's playing the five at, at once. I mean, you're still going to lose some rebounding battles. So, and I think rebounding is huge. Um, it's something that, uh, yeah, just kind of the analytical kind of part of me and, and just sees the, you know, just obviously like, Hey, uh, uh, more possessions is, is more chances for them to score. And, uh, and also there's, uh, I'm just teasing. I'm giving too much away from an article that I'm about to uh, put out, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, the the 
points per possession on possessions where a team has offensive rebounds are much higher. So there's, it's not even like if a team is at like 0.9 points per possessions, if they get an offensive rebound, it's not going to be 0.9. It's usually closer to one point per possession. So these, so these, um, these offensive rebounds, the Gators are giving up are like really hurting. It's, it's really hurt them this past season, especially of course. Yeah. They're 313th in, in uh, defensive offensive rebounds. So, so that's not a good number. So, um, yeah, there is part of me that wonders about playing small or, you know, maybe like there's, there's part of me too that says like, yeah, if they roll out uh Gorjot Gak next to um, at the five with, with Dante Bassett. Um, yeah. There's going to be some defensive struggles for sure. But if that, you know, if that group can, can rebound well, um, you know, maybe that's better than uh, a smaller group that, you know, is maybe uh, doing a little bit better defensively on the first shot, but is allowing second and third chances. So um, that is something that I, I think about. Obviously, I just talked about it for a while. I mean, I, I've been thinking about it. So let's talk offense because one of the things in the Blackshear process, and I know we're kind of jumping back to the Blackshear process, but um, where I am, and and it, I just felt like it it's, it fit in better in the show here, um, has been, you know, the battle between Tennessee and Florida, and and the argument that Tennessee's making, and there was a tweet from Kim, Kim English that seemed pretty. Uh, seem pretty clear clearly to validate what Tennessee is selling. Um, but I had heard from reliable sources that I have that have been willing to say what they know about the process. And I shared them with some people on message boards and shared them uh, with Eric and I, and look, um, you know, you can call it negative recruiting if you want. Uh, certainly I would. Uh, but I also think that negative recruiting doesn't necessarily mean you're like a bad person. It just is. It's one way of recruiting. Uh, that's kind of my take on it. Like you can sell your program or you can say, well, the other choice would be really bad for you. And I just think those are the you kind of two different paths to take. And so the Kim, Kim English tweet, Kim English is an assistant at Tennessee and their recruiting coordinator. And he uh, has been tweeting out the list of bigs that played for Rick Barnes and kind of one of the arguments that Tennessee has made, they've made two arguments. One, uh, Mike White is 42 and hasn't coached any NBA draft picks, much less any NBA bigs. And why would you risk that uh, when your goal is to get drafted? And two, our flex offense is a way better fit for you. And um, playing with Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden is a much better fit for you because Mike White's offense is really guard reliant and he's just not going to give you touches. And so I think Eric's written – two articles now that kind of eviscerate that theory, but I wanted to let Eric have time on the podcast to kind of explain why that style of negative recruiting is, is really not congruent with facts. <laughs> well, just, uh, yeah. So I, I wrote an article, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, just about why I thought he was a good fit at Florida touched on a lot of things. Um, I'd love for you to read that if you haven't. And then I just pulled up this morning before, uh, or a little bit earlier before the podcast, um, that kind of just looked at how Florida used their bigs last year. And I, I guess just to summarize, um, I actually thought Florida did some good stuff to get their bigs, um, some good one-on-one opportunities down low. I just didn't think they really had the guys to finish. So uh, I'd love for you to, uh, to go read that if you haven't, but um, it was interesting to see that like uh, there, one thing I looked at too, was just kind of like the usage rates um, for big men at each of these teams. Like um, uh, I did, you know, <laughs> Virginia tech, I did uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, as well as Florida, just to have a little bit of perspective. And uh, obviously I thought like, yeah, it's going to be just like crazy how much lower the usage rate is going to be for Florida bigs versus, um, you know, Tennessee. And while Tennessee uses them more, it's not like 
a massive amount realistically. And when you look at the tape and look at the film, like I looked like a lot of, I was like, there was a lot of stuff that I honestly didn't notice watching the games live that I just watched now. That was like, Oh wow. That was actually a really good action to get um, the floor space really well for a post-op. But you know, that Isaiah Stokes hook shot just spilled out or um, just, you know, like they're just really good looks that just um, didn't go in because, you know, Kavari Hayes wasn't always a great finisher in, on post-up. So uh, yeah, I think that I kind of, hopefully showed with my article that the difference between how, uh, you know, how bigs are used uh, at least in kind of terms of amount and how they're like, at least in terms, I mean, it showed the numbers I would say are fairly clear that, um, you know, while Tennessee, Kentucky use their bigs more often, it's not like, it's, it's not as much as you think more than Florida. And uh, while, you know, you could argue whether what, what coach white was doing versus with the kind of the Princeton versus the flex offense of Tennessee, um, what's better for big. You can argue that I would say like, Hey, you know what? Tennessee obviously did some really good stuff for their bigs. Um, but hey, let's look at uh, uh, let's look at what Florida did. And if you actually look at the sets and what Florida did, um, not just like hey, how many points per game did Kavarius Hayes and Dante Bassett average, but you actually look at what they ran. Um, Florida ran some really good stuff, and it was actually um, it's something that I hope that uh, you know it's it's not even in, even in just the sense of like oh I just want to defend Mike White because I am a supporter and a believer. Um, but there's actually just some really creative stuff that I don't think you got credit for. And I thought that, uh, yeah, some people should, uh, should see that. And, uh, yeah, maybe I changed their view, maybe just a little bit of Mike White when he sees that, like, Hey, there was some good stuff that, um, the guys just didn't finish. Yeah. And look, um, I, I've pointed out a couple other arguments. One being that I think personnel wise, Florida is well suited to play with someone like black shear. Um, you know, not just in terms of the fact that they have guards that can really pass, but also like Florida has good interior passers, which all, by the way, have all left Tennessee for, for greener pastures. Um, Keontae Johnson, I think would be a, a wonderful asset uh, to carry Blackshear just because of Keontae's ability to, to command help in the lane and Keontae's ability to make tight interior passes. And we saw Keontae try to make those. And that was the distinction that Eric and I made last year on the show a bunch, right, Eric, about like, Keontae trying to make aggressive passes that lead to baskets um, as opposed to <laughs> kind of just pass to pass, like risky pass that leads to turnover. Um, and I think that that's an important distinction because Keontae can make those, and a lot of times they just weren't handled last year. And you think somebody like Blackshear would be able to handle those and maybe get some easy baskets. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, uh, from watching, um, watching the way Virginia Tech played with Blackshear, um, I always thought about like Justin Robinson um, as a really good scorer, their guard, um, which he is, but like that guy can really pass the basketball. And that's something that I do not think he got enough credit for. Right. And, uh, so like there was like watching, um, like watching Blackshear and Justin Robinson, the pick and roll was magnificent. And uh, yeah, you know what? I think Andrew Nemhard can make kind of the similar passes. Uh, I, I don't think he's getting those from uh, from some of those other teams kind of involved. So uh, that was just something too, where uh, uh, you know I kind of because I actually was almost close to being like I'm like oh I bet that Andrew Nemhart might be the best passer that Blackshear's ever played with. Um, probably not. Like I love Andrew Nemhart. <laughs> Justin Robinson is an incredible passer, and while I think Andrew Nemhart might be comparable, um, I think it's something that'd be interesting to point out. Versus yeah, um, you know you just don't really see those guys on uh, uh, on Kentucky or, or Tennessee right now. Yeah, and I think Trey Mann's ability to beat people off the bounce, a different kind of pick and roll player, is also something that would be, you know, pretty useful to, to, uh, to carry Blackshear. So I think Florida has, 
you know, pieces of their offense and concepts that really make a lot of that kind of mythological. Uh, but with that said, see how we transition right back here to 2019, 2020. I don't know how much without Kerry Blackshear, Florida's style offensively will change. And this is a point maybe Eric and I might disagree on. But I still think Florida's going to play pretty slow. Uh, I still think it's going to be pretty methodical. What I think is going to be different, and I still think Florida's going to run a lot of sets, to be honest, because they don't have the bigs not to, so you've got to free up space. What I think will be different is that they've got a couple guys to go one-on-one, which Eric talked about. And then, I, really, for me, I just think Florida will get more transition-type opportunities because of Scotty Lewis, really. Yeah, and I think that's uh... – I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, first of all, because I know people are going to say – Yeah, that's like there, There's going to be people that are going to hear you say they're going to play slow again, and they're going to be, like, terrified, and they shouldn't be. That's just – once again, let's look at Villanova and, uh, and Virginia dominating college basketball the last few years and seeing that they all play slow. So, yes, I do think Florida is going to get in transition um, a little bit more um, than they were able to last year. And, and, you know, if they can rebound the ball better, that'll be part of that. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, like if they don't have that initial push and, and initial bucket, I, I do think they'll get into uh, get into some of these progressions. And uh, the one thing I do think is that they will be a better team at playing motion offense when they decide to do that, just because they do have more guys that can create, which is what you need if you're going to play motion. Right. Um, so they could do that a little bit better, and therefore maybe they go to that a bit more. But I, I really think that the Princeton offense looked good. Um, I think that that was a uh, a better way of scoring. Um, for them. And I also think that uh, they just kind of like scratched the surface of what you can do in that offense. And uh, if they kind of really committed to doing it a bit more in a full off season, uh, they could get into some really interesting stuff. So um, I, I will say that I don't think it's going to change a lot offensively, um, but I'll also say that I don't think that's a bad thing. And I know a lot of people are going to be just desperate for them to play faster. Um, and obviously I'm just not like that. I do not think you need to play fast to win. I would say that recent college basketball history has shown playing fast is not a great thing. So, um, yeah, I just think that, yeah, while I would like to see them get more shots in transition, if it's not there, Hey, work the ball around, get a good shot. So let's just finish our kind of overview of, of 2019, 2020 with like, what, if you were, let's make Eric head coach for a day. All like right. what is because I'm put you on the spot and go off the uh, the run of show outline a little bit, make you head coach for a day. Because a lot of a lot of coaches approach summer ball differently, right? And they just want to gel and get some practice in, and then go on their retreat. And you know everybody loves the head coach on the retreat because you know he's ordering Papa John's when everybody likes Papa John's and you know handing out cookies and whatever. Uh, <laughs> coach is awesome then because he's not making us defend and run sprints. Um, what would you be focusing on if you were Florida this summer? Like you get all your guys on campus, you look at your roster, like what's your, what's your first priority? Uh, you know what? I I think it's getting some, getting five on five and, uh, and running some offense. I mean, I, I think that you, you've got so many new faces that I do think you need to build chemistry. And I think you need to do that on the, on the floor. And I think that for a team that's, um, uh, I think you look at the teams of kind of the last two two seasons where I think that um, there's probably a belief that the team was going to score well and uh, and not be able to defend. And then they realized that, yeah, maybe uh, – well, obviously that wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> they struggled to score. And, uh, yeah, maybe that just some more chemistry was required. And, and I think that uh, I just – I see all these new faces and, 
and guys that haven't played together. And I think like, Hey, you need to put a ball in there. You need to be playing five on five. Not, you know, I'm not as much into the, uh, I'm not into three on three. I'm not until it's play two on two and screen and roll and uh, whatever. I, I think you need to get five on five, get into these sets, get into these progressions so that um, when it comes to the first couple weeks of the season, it's not like, um, Hey, now that we've got the basics, let's start adding things. It's like, yeah, you've already got a few sets going for the start of the season. And um, yeah, that would be kind of my mix of like uh, building chemistry um, as well as, yeah, obviously working on offense that has struggled. And uh, if you're playing five on five and working on that offense, inherently you're going to get into a, uh, def- defending as well and getting these guys used to communicating on defense and uh, yeah, just all things that I think a team with all these fresh faces needs. So, yeah, I like that idea. Um, the other thing I think that five on five would do uh, is, is I think, I think Florida, I watched five SEC games. Um, well, you know, gallivanting around Europe and basically just pulling them up on YouTube, watching them. And, and it, what I think about Florida is that sometimes outside of Keontae Johnson and Dante Bassett, like I didn't think Florida was a team that liked contact very much. And, you know, I'd really like to see if that changes with, with Scotty Lewis, with Noah Locke being healthy. Cause I think Noah's a guy who can get physical, um, kind of has that build. Uh, I think it's part of Andrew Nimhart's game that he can improve both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, I think you can be a, a good fundamental defender and still kind of be averse to, to physical games. So I was kind of interested in your thoughts on that and like what you can do on that in summer ball. Well, I mean, the interesting thing for Florida has been, they've just been like injured the last two years. And therefore that has probably really uh, toned down their ability to do things that require contact and probably yeah. made them a little bit scared to do contact. And, I totally understand that. Um, that's a, I, that's a tough situation. I mean, even as a high school basketball coach, that's a struggle. I am not wanting to get my guys injured. And I mean, that's my, you know, like Canadian high school basketball. That's not, um, you know, sec caliber athletes and, and size. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that I don't really know the answer to that one, how you can kind of, um, build a, a desire to kind of initiate contact while also trying to be safe and, uh, and that, and I actually thought, you know, I, I believe, I believe this was at the Fort Lauderdale kind of, uh, when Mike White was there for the, for the Gator club. Um, I think someone told me this, uh, I saw a couple people on the Gator country boards mentioned, uh, mentioned this just about, um, he was talking about Gak and mentioning that Gak does not like contact and is not physical despite being kind of his size. So as you kind of mentioned, um, mentioned that watching the, watching this team. And as we talk about who may start, if they don't get a grad transfer at the five, um, just that, uh, yeah, that might be an interesting kind of mix of like, well, Gak is bigger than Bassett, uh, but Bassett loves contact and maybe Gak doesn't so much. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure how you, um, yeah, how you kind of develop that kind of, uh, I, I don't like to use the term <laughs> tough cause I feel like when it, it, insinuating that they're not tough is, is, is kind of offensive, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure what you do kind of balancing, not trying to get injured, but also uh, yeah, and, building and, that. And, and I'm a big believer that, that toughness in basketball isn't just, you know, it's not just liking contact. Like, there's a lot to, to being a tough basketball player. And, I, and I, so when I say that there are a lot of Gators that don't like contact, I actually think some of those guys that don't are really tough, um, if that makes any sense. Like, Andrew Nimhart to me is tough. I mean, the guy played 35-plus minutes as a freshman, defends really fundamentally sound, uh, plays, plays fundamental sound defense, gets in a stance you know, is accountable. Like all those things to me are toughness as a coach. Uh, it's just, 
you know, how do you practice and get guys to, to be more, you know, able to engage contact? And maybe really the answer is that Florida's coaches do a lot of can do, whether it's using padding to just try to mimic contact, you know, in drills or, or things like that. Yeah, no, that's it's a good place to start. But once again, I mean, uh, probably uh, the people kind of in the um, <laughs> kind of sports science thing. Uh, Neil, check your phone by the way for a text from me. Um, but yeah, just to wonder what to what extent you can um, you can kind of go through the uh, uh, go through the rigors of physical contact because I do think that's important, especially as much as um, um, as much as like I think that uh, I think that you know the kind of moniker of the you know SEC basketball. It's like oh, it's like football out there on the court. It's big. It's physical. As much as I do think that's like you know, a little bit overblown. I mean, you still look at these teams in the SEC and um, looking forward to next season. It's like, yeah, like Tennessee is still going to be physical. Um, Kentucky is going to be a physical game. Florida state. Um, obviously when we see them in the non-conference, that's going to be another physical game. And uh, uh, yeah. How you prepare for that? We'll see. So uh, it's funny. Like there've been all these tweets about it being just Tennessee and Virginia tech. And now we actually have a couple of burner accounts that are, Suddenly, including Florida again. That's weird. Interesting. Uh, interesting development. If you follow this on Twitter, it, you know you would have no idea what's going on. It's set that we know he was committed to Kentucky last week. So, <laughs> I gotta say, whoever gets him, that's incredible to flip him from Kentucky in one week's time um, after Cal pulled out all the stops and then swagged his way to the draft. Um, can, can we also remember? Sorry, this is like <laughs> I just feel like this has not been talked enough about. That Rick Barnes came out and said, like, "Oh yeah, like um, you, I was gonna go to UCLA, but we couldn't figure out the buyout." <laughs> like he, he like said that he was gonna leave, which I know for like Blackshear, where he's under like one year, he's not doesn't have to be super concerned with Barnes, like yeah, um, you know, leaving or whatever. So it's a little bit different, but at the same time, I just thought that was like the worst look from Barnes, and he just like I just don't feel like it's been talked enough about like nationally or whatever that like. Barnes was just like, yeah, I was, I was going to go to UCLA, couldn't figure out the buyout, and yeah, I'm at Tennessee. I'm like, well, like that shouldn't inspire a lot of confidence with your, with right, your and guys. That, is, that he's clearly been involved, or well, certainly has been alleged to be involved in in negative recruiting is uh, is um, <laughs> it's pretty funny given <laughs> given that reality, but is we will do another, even if it's a thirty minute you know, Hey, look what happened pod. Uh, we'll get on after he does make a decision and break it down. Uh, one way or another, it might not even take 30 minutes, but I know you guys will want the content. So we'll try to give it to you. One thing we wanted to do this summer was, was preview some of Florida's games. Like, um, you know, I had a couple listeners request that we do that. Like, Hey, we want to dive into the early schedule. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy that people are this excited for this team regardless of whether Blackshear is coming. And I should add, and I'm sure Eric feels the same way, I think Florida's going to be really good next year, regardless of what happens. I think so, too. Like, I mean, you look at last year, uh, you look at last year's team, and you like, you know what, a lot of stuff went wrong, obviously. Uh, and they still made it to the tournament. They won a game. I, I would say that they, um, kind of talent-wise, were more like maybe a 7 seed than a 10 seed, um, whatever you want to say like that. Um, and I do think this team's better, even just how it, how it sits. So, um, even say like, hey, maybe you think that Florida was, let's say they were an eight seed talent last year. I think that that makes this te- year's team like 
a six seed. And if you were maybe like, Hey, this team was more of the talent of a six or seven seed. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think they're more like a five seed. And I, I do think that with this team, um, the way it's constructed currently, I do think it's probably like top 25 ish in my mind and uh, maybe probably a little bit higher. I mean, I would say in my kind of top 25, I, I would say they're like 17th or 18th for me personally. And, you know, some people may call me a homer, but yeah, I, I'm still really, really excited no matter uh, what happens with this last scholarship. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they max out as a Sweet 16 team as current. So a Sweet 16 team is one through six. It's really nine through 16, and that's kind of where I have them. Um, and I understand people might think that's ridiculous, and, you know, you're totally entitled to that. Like, again, because, you know, every man misses a jump shot, right, <laughs> in the second round. Uh it's hard to make the sweet 16 and I'm sure that the hive will be furious if they don't. Um, but that's kind of, it's kind of where it is. Uh, but I do expect them to win 20 games for the fifth season in a row under coach white. I do expect them to make the NCAA tournament. I do expect them to advance in the NCAA tournament barring, you know, a weird, you know, freakish mid major hitting 23s type thing. Uh, that's a, t- um, <laughs> And so I think they'll be really good. And that all starts with North Florida, which was a team that was assigned to me. Uh, They get North Florida at home. I'm really glad they're not playing state first. I think that's a big deal to play somebody else. Coaching clinics. I really like coach Driscoll. Um, He runs a really fun offense. It's a three guard offense. They play two ball guards, one primary distributor, which I really should have mixed up who I gave Eric better because I, two teams that run very similar offenses. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, UNF has been to the NCAA tournament once under Driscoll. They've won the Atlantic Sun twice. They went to the NIT once and lost to Mike White in Florida. Um, and they're going to start five seniors, which I think is really, really, that's what stood out. They're going to start five seniors, Eric, against a Florida team that will be quote unquote young. And to me, they also won eight of their last nine games, losing only to Liberty in a road game that I watched. It was closer than the eight-point score. Um, you know, Scotty James was huge and just hit two monster baskets down the stretch and North Florida missed buckets. So they were hot at the end of last season. They start five seniors. Florida better bring their game uh, on opening night because North Florida can play with, with the Gators. Uh, and the way they can do that is by shooting the ball. Um, I think their best player is Ivan Gandia Rosa. He's a guard from Puerto Rico. I think he's a good passer. Uh, he was he was uh, 30th in the country in assist rate, which is really good. Um, and because I've been bored on Blackshear Watch and can't write bomb articles like Eric, uh, I got to watch video of him, and I decided I really like his game and kind of wish that he wasn't a true senior next year. Like if he had been a redshirt junior this year, that would have been sweet. Because he can really shoot it, thirty-seven percent from three. Um, he had five games with twenty-plus points, including against Lipscomb and Liberty. He dropped nineteen on Auburn. Um, so, you know, Auburn was pretty good, right? So uh, <laughs> he stands out. Another guy that stands out is Wajid Aminu. He's a six-eight senior forward. Eric, he had a top one hundred in the country in block rate. And he was uh, top 20 in the country in charges taken to uh, hoops math. So a guy that has really good defensive fundamentals. 
Um, not a bad basketball team, but far less interesting than Florida's second game, which Eric previewed, which is Florida State. Yeah, so Florida State's looking uh, looking strong again, and I know that they lost some guys that, that played a key role in the matchup last year. Um, but obviously they still, uh, still return some guys and their, their recruiting classes is pretty interesting just because, um, they've got a guy named Patrick Williams coming in. Um, he's a five-star, he's the 25th ranked player in the class. Um, I, I don't know why he's not, um, why he's not hired just because, uh, he's just built like an absolute man. Like he is uh, so filled out at six foot six. He's like, I, he's not like a super quick twitchy athlete, but he just like is so powerful going up and um, is just another just big physical wing. Uh, and I think he's going to be able to contribute um, early when Florida plays them for sure. And uh, he shoots, shoots from range. He's so strong that he just like watching him play in, in North Carolina where he's from. He just pull up from so far away just because I think that, you know, when you're that strong, you can just, you know, have the ease of shooting a little bit behind the arc without, uh, without as much trouble. Um, and then another guy they have in their class is, is Balsa Kopavica, who, you know, everyone followed the, uh, <laughs> followed the money of the uh, uh, FBI probe, knows his name. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, seven-footer for Montverde. Um, he's 73rd in the country, but for a long time, um, if you look a couple of years back, he was always kind of considered to be a five-star, kind of a top talent, one of the best centers. Um, he kind of ended uh, at 73rd. Uh, Neil, you've probably seen him more than I have, just obviously the, the fact that he played at Montverde and, and you get to see those guys. So maybe yeah. you'll have a comment. Um, I'll just run through a couple more guys too. Um, of course they have a seven, a seven foot three guy, uh, Naheem McLeod, he committed. Uh, so, you know, if you're seven foot three, you know, probably picking uh, Florida state's a, a safe thing to do. And they even actually got a little bit of help, um, as well with a couple Juco guys, um, that are coming in. Um, and that's also going to help them right away too. So obviously they, they lost some guys, um, but they bring in Balsa Copervica, who's probably going to be able to contribute a little bit. They bring in Patrick Williams, who I think is, you know, he's ranked 25th in the country. I think he should be higher. So, and he's physically developed. He's physically ready for college. I think he's going to contribute and you got a couple of Juco guys. Um, you got to think that they're going to be contributors right away as well, even though I cannot claim to, uh, to really know the games of Nathaniel Jack and Raekwon Evans. Um, even though uh, Raekwon Evans Canadian, so you know, shout out. But uh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I've got to think that um, while this maybe isn't like the strongest Florida State team we've seen in the last couple of years that have had really good Florida State teams, uh, I, I am uh, I'm still think this is going to be a very very difficult game and, and a good solid team. So I think that they, um, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, Eric. You know, and I think uh, I've kind of talked myself into that. But the main reason I think is Copervica. I think is a guy that. First of all, he's just really skilled. Um, you know, he can he can shoot. Uh, his footwork is really good. He struggles with physicality um, because he's just so skinny. And I don't think one summer in the weight room in Tallahassee is going to fix that. Uh, he's really a. I mean, Kevin Gelly and him aren't the same player, but he's going to be able to replicate a lot of the skill and kind of the the different element, I guess that 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 they had right like it's not like for like but i think the point i'm making is the reason that they were different last year was that player and i think he kind of fills in for that just because he's he's such a he's such a skilled and talented kid i don't know how good that will be as a freshman but i think down the line you know that's a player with a huge uh a huge ceiling that makes them a lot better i do think florida is a better roster than them but um yeah i mean when, when we played balsa uh, you know, the, the game plan was just basically pretty really athletic dealing with him. 
um, and <laughs> try to trouble him in as many ways as we could that way because he's not a super athlete, but he's a really good basketball player. Yeah, that'll be interesting to uh, to kind of get a look at him. I mean, uh, there's probably a lot of people that didn't even think he'd be eligible to uh, to play this year, um, given that kind of involvement he was rumored to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, once again, I, I'm I'm pretty interested to see once again that they did get a, a couple JUCO guys just for um, some kind of instant help. Yeah, um, obviously, again, they got some of the higher rated JUCO guys in the country. Um, once again, uh, you know, I know some of the JUCO guys from uh, when Florida dabbled in uh, in maybe taking some of them this year. Um, so, uh, but I'm not familiar with these ones, so I, I I'm not going to pretend to, uh, to give some kind of, uh, some kind of coverage here. Uh, but they brought two of them and, uh, you got, again, once again, I, I would think if you're taking Juco guys at, at Florida state, they're probably going to be uh, contributing right away. Uh, both guards, um, help out in the backcourt and, uh, yeah, that'll be a, a couple, a couple interesting mixes, but, uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, I would say, uh, Patrick Williams could be a definite issue going back to, this is a little bit, even going back to when I was talking about my, um, maybe a little bit of concern with Florida's wing situation was, uh, you know, was seeing Florida state and seeing a player like Patrick Williams, that's uh, just going to come in and, and, and try to out physical and out athlete, whoever he's going against. Yeah. And I, it's just such a big game for the Gators early in the season. I think that the fan base really wants that. Game. Desperately. Um, <laughs> like desperately is tired of that. That streak bothers them a lot. And I'm sure it bothers coach white. And um, it's just a huge game for Florida. So, uh, any chance of a letdown versus Towson? I know I gave you that one. <laughs> uh, I, this Towson team. Um, well, one thing that I'm still waiting to see. I mean, finding some coverage of them is is uh, can be a little bit difficult, just because uh, you know it's not it's not going to be covered the same. But um, but pretty much all their best players that are um, coming back would all be eligible to be graduate transfers. Okay. And, um, they have a mid major. Yeah, like Brian Fobbs, Tobias Howard, uh, Nake Sanders. Um, they are all they're three redshirt juniors. That um, I haven't heard if they're going anywhere, but uh, it looks so. It looks like they might all be back. But I'm also like, you just never know with um, you know teams like the Colonial, um, <laughs> kind of just where they'll be. Um, but they are returning most of their guys from a team that was um, you know was quite bad last year. 291st <laughs> in Ken Palm, um, 10 and 20. Yeah, 10 and 22. Um, they played in the Colonial, which was like a really weird league because they had Hofstra and Northeastern and Charleston, which were three pretty, pretty good teams, teams. Yeah. but then like it just drops off like there's a mat so they were like um so those are like um kind of like top 100 ish ken palm teams um then there's like a huge drop off to like william and mary and and uh, uh and cornell and uh just or sorry like uh with like james madison and unc wilmington and these teams <laughs> that are like 280th in ken palm so um yeah that was pretty weird so uh, I would say, yeah, they should be better returning a lot of guys, but uh, yeah, I don't think um, don't think they're going to be great. They actually got a, a transfer, a seven a seven footer from USC is transferring there, but he, he won't be eligible. Um, but that'll be pretty interesting. His brother was on the roster, uh, huh. but yeah, this is a team that uh, played super super slow um, to a three hundred thirty seventh in tempo, three hundred forty first in uh, offensive. So they played really slow, methodical. Um, just a lot of kind of uh, you know watching a bit of their film from last year. Um, just some kind of pretty slow, um, you know, two guard spots. They move the ball side to side, um, middle ball screen. If it's not there, they go to the other spot. Um, the big goes and screens there. Just pretty methodical um, defensively. Uh, we're in a great team, but played primarily man defense. I almost hope that they would be one of these kind of like exotic zone mid-majors just because I think that there's um, some value in, um, in playing those kind of playing teams like that. Um, but yeah, they, uh, yeah, they're just, uh, 
this is not a great team. Um, they play, they, they don't get out in pressure passing lanes. Uh, they're pretty, uh, they don't look for steals. So um, it's going to be a chance for Florida to kind of run their stuff offensively and hopefully get some, uh, hopefully get some rhythm. But yeah, this is uh, not going to be a marquee game. Um, though everyone should still buy tickets and go see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there you go. Um, last one we're going to do, and we're running up on an hour. So I'll try to go quick and give Eric a say on this one because I think it's a fun game. Florida's going to play at UConn. They could actually play UConn twice in one week, thanks to the Charleston Classic. Um, UConn is always a program that I kind of compare to Florida because you never hear like UConn's a blue blood in basketball, but just when you look at like winning in the last 20 years, like it's really remarkable how much they've won. Right, Eric. Um, right. And, and probably really, if we're being honest, like just because of where their recruiting base is and administrative support, maybe even a little bit better a job than Florida, although Eric and I can have that debate another time. Um, they were 16 and 17 last year. So uh, it was their third straight losing season, um, which that's almost unthinkable when you think about that program's excellence this century. Uh, it'll be their second year under Dan Hurley, uh, who was a big time hire when, when they hired him. And, um, you know, I don't know what Eric's thoughts are on him, but it's a pretty guard reliant offense. Again, primary point, two ball guards, three guards at all times. Uh, they landed transfer RJ Cole from Howard as a player. I really like, but he's got to sit out a year, which I didn't know. Um, they signed three top 100 players for the first time in three years. So if you guys thought Florida and Mike White had it bad, it was going rough for Kevin Ollie. <laughs> and they got a, a good class, a top 20 class. Uh, it's highlighted by um, James Boonight, um, who picked the Huskies over Indiana. He's a 6'4 guard. And then a 6'2 guard named Jalen Gaffney, who's a guy Florida recruited pretty hard. Uh, and then Florida kind of backed off on him, right, when man was going to come. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a familiar name. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, but like you said, uh, this is kind of the year that um, I would say Hurley and, and UConn needs to really step it up. Yep. Um, as per, um, you know, the day we're recording this, um, it's been made known that in uh, in one year, so not this year, you know, UConn's going to be moving up to the Big East. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, so I think that they've got to kind of get some momentum moving forward here, especially going from uh, from the American, which obviously is a good league, but, uh, um, but going to uh, to the Big East. Um, I'll also add that them going to the Big East, though, um, uh, because there's obviously Florida gets to play them again um, next year um, with their return game. It's going to be a nice resume thing, knowing that uh, knowing that UConn's going to be uh, in the Big East and probably have yeah. more better computer numbers. Um, that'll be for next offseason podcast. But but yeah, no, I, I'm really interested. He's a, he's it's, what's going to be really interesting too is uh, a little bit of the. Um, the personality difference on the sidelines, I'll say, between the, uh, you know, <laughs> he's not the mo- he's not the uh, most fiery of the of the Hurley brothers, but still can be pretty fiery uh, versus Mike White. So who we all know is a lot more uh, tempered on the sidelines. So that'll be interesting. Um, and of course, a chance for um, the New Jersey um, connections to uh, to Florida with the uh, the Klatsky family and, and all those connected yeah. to Alex Klatsky, as well as, of course, Scotty Lewis um, and the people they went to school with. Uh, that'll be nice for them. And, and I mean, I'd be pretty sure that'd be one of the reasons they wanted to do um, uh, UConn first. And then of course, return to Gainesville um, just so that uh, there would be some of the, uh, the chances for, for those people to see, to see Scotty Lewis. So um, I actually think that, you know, I, I wouldn't expect a, a pro Gators crowd by any means, but I do think there'll be some, uh, some people cheering for the orange and blue there. So I think, I think, um, you know, I just read a, another fun black shirt tweet. Sorry guys. We're just popping these into the pod because they're hilarious. 
Why would he go to Florida? They would make Blackshear Matumbo instead of an actual basketball player. Okay. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, um, and we're not going to unpack it on this show. Best player at, at UConn, just to get back into them, it was Jalen Adams uh, by far, but he's graduated. Uh, he just signed with the Pelicans uh, yesterday, and it's going to be in the G League. i got to get my G League subscription on, Eric. Yes. Um, uh, Jalen is a guy I think can make a roster at some point. Um, Alter Gilbert, probably their other best player. He's going to be their dude. He was beset by injuries really last year. I looked it up. I was surprised to see he only played in 19 games. Remember, I said they were 16 and seven or 16 and 17. Eric, they were 13 and six in games that Alter Gilbert played. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, he's not really a scorer but he's certainly a table setter in Hurley's offense. A really good passer, really tough defender. Reminds me of the point guard from Michigan, who I can't remember. Um, From this year? Yeah. Oh, Xavier Simpson? Yeah, he reminds me quite a bit of Xavier Mm. Simpson, actually. I I think he's as good an on-ball defender. They have another guard named Christian Vital, who shot 41% from three, but he shot 44% in AAC play, which is really high. Uh, Also defends at a high level. So they have two very good defensive guards, which is always going to be – you know, if you come from that Coach K school, that's like rule number one, right? Um, my guards will defend. And I think it almost all in the front. Who is a really good shot blocker, but he's limited offensively. and He fouls at a really high rate. So when he's on the floor, he's tremendous. He's just not on the floor enough. The, the stat that stuck out to me, and Eric knows from doing a show with me for Kate fouling on defense. Um, and <laughs> they were bottom 30 in the country in foul rate, Eric, and they were bottom 20 in the country in foul rate in conference play. Well, I think when you've got a coach screaming at you the way Hurley does, uh, <laughs> probably wraps up the intensity a little bit. But uh, no, that's an interesting note for sure. And that's and, probably uh, why they just, finished just... 129th in defense, defensive efficiency, because if you send teams to the line, you are not as efficient. Well, and especially when you're a team that doesn't have great depth due to injury. Um, right, fouling a ton is just not going to help you. Um, another Kerry Blackshear tweet that I just really cracked me up. You probably saw it. It was a little bit before. Um, this is from an Arkansas fan as well, which like makes it like double funny to me. But it's just Kerry Blackshear is a myth. We've all been catfished. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that just cracked me up while you were talking. While we're just <laughs> since we've gotten more into interjecting Kerry uh, Blackshear tweets. Yeah, I think I read the Matumbo one wrong. But it, it, although he's a power forward, not a basketball player, but it's still like so ridiculous that. Like, what a good time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, these, if he goes to Florida, the Tennessee people in particular, I think, are just going to be like, they're just not going to know what to do with their world. Like, their whole universe is going to – it's going to be very chaotic for them. Yeah. No, that's – sorry, I'm still – I'm looking at this Mutombo thing, and this guy has doubled <laughs> down on his take saying, no, they would literally just try to turn him into Mutombo. They would only allow him to do dunks and layups. Because he's and suggesting that that would be a bad thing if Florida, or sorry, yeah, Florida would have um, Matumbo. That would be a bad thing and would obviously not be uh, not be good for Blackshear or Florida. So <laughs> he Florida's down. never had a good big man under White. So John Igbunu wasn't good. <laughs> I'm just shook at the fact that he's using Matumbo as an insult right now. He doesn't like, like Dorian. Dorian Finney-Smith wasn't a big. Mm. <laughs> was was he was he, would you care would we characterize dodo as a wing just because like i mean can you be a wing when you're six foot eight 240 
Yeah, I mean, so, so I mean, if you see, obviously, like see him play with the Mavericks, you're going to see him just right. play the wing and, and chase around wings. So, um, yeah, I, I probably would. I would call him a wing truthfully myself, though. I know. No, I know. Really no, there, I was no, it was a legitimate question. Oh, okay. Wasn't yeah. <laughs> well, it was okay. just while we're talking position things, this is my pet peeve. I mean, so many, I, this podcast has gone away too long. People might turn this off, but yeah, um, okay. just, <laughs> I just feel like, like so many people are just like, um, are so just like, stuck to um like oh that like point guard shooting guard small forward power forward center where i feel like basketball nowadays is almost like um and you know i say this with some hesitancy kind of like football and as people know i'm no football expert but like when i watch football if a team decides they're gonna put two running backs out um in kind of a split back formation they're not like oh it looks like they put in a stretch fullback in the backfield or if they put in or if they put in two tight ends and like a jumbo thing no one's like Oh, it looks like they're playing a power receiver just to the left of the line. Like people just say, "Oh, they have two tight ends." So that's kind of how I view, bas- view basketball, where I do think it's possible to put out three guards and one wing and a center, or two wings and three guards, or one guard, three wings and a center. So I always look at these things as just like it's kind of like football, where you can put out different formations, but people are so locked to like nope, this guy played next to a center, so he's a power forward, even if he's not. So, um, But I kind of look at it more like football, where you put out different position things, and no one is like, oh, it looks like they put in a, you know, a, a stretch safety in there to go guard a wide receiver. Like, they just, you don't use that term. You just say, like, oh, this is a, you know, you just use the different position, and you say, like, oh, this is a different form. But anyways, that is my take on this uh, position thing. So, I, I think that's, first of all, that's awesome. And <laughs> second of all... Uh, <laughs> we don't agree with Eric Musselman much, and this is a great way to close the podcast. <laughs> but I think Eric just like summed up Eric Musselman's like whole basketball philosophy. <laughs> like he has no thoughts on offense or defense, really. People like I've really enjoyed in the Black Show recruitment, and here we go. Like, should we go on to another topic, or should we end the show? Like this discussion of the Eric Musselman offense, and I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> 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 like, just the space and pace. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sorry. Like it gets into like your, the, the pet peeve, the Florida basketball hour podcast host have for like buzzwords. All I know is that the, all I know is that the assistant coaches for Florida should be like arm wrestling to see who gets the Arkansas scout because it's going to be much easier than it's going to be a lot easier than Auburn. I'll tell you that much. Or some of these other coaches that I think run a lot more interesting stuff and slash run stuff, I should say. Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. So we're going to do a recruiting update on the next show because um, I've gotten some inside information on, on some recruits. I need to flesh it out a little bit and do some more research on them. Believe it or not, we do other things other than watch basketball players. So uh, we're going to dive into some of that and we'll do, maybe we can add that to the end of our like black sheer wrap, but I hope, thank you everyone for putting up with us for over an hour. If you're still listening,